This week, we're getting toasty. We have the interview you want to hear and a lot more. So strap in for this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 106. We have another interview this week, and I think we may have just outdone ourselves. I mean, Rick White was a great get, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, he's Rick White, but he's not our next guest this week. I'm Nick, he's Will, and let me just say, it's exciting times here on the Indie Ball Report. It's exciting times indeed, and I mean, it's quite telling when the fir- when you get quite possibly the... Uh, the biggest guest in, in the history of the podcast and in, in Rick White. And then the first comment is, when's the Toast Man coming on? Exactly. Well, that time is now. I know. And I got to I gotta give you credit for this one. Will, you're the one who arranged this and put it all together. So credit goes to you on getting the Toast Man in here. And I think that... Uh, this one is this one. I didn't know what to expect going into it. Like with Rick White, we kind of knew. Like, okay, it's going to be more professional. Uh, isn't to say that our other interviews aren't professional, but they tend to be a bit looser. With Rick White, it was like, okay, it's going to be more, you know, as you expect it to be. Then, like with the second time we had Jesse on, we knew it was going to be a bit more laid back. It was going to be a bit more fun. With this one, I had no idea what to expect. And it turned out to be really, really good. Like, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I agree. I, th- I think it, it, it was a lot of fun just, you know, just, just he- hearing his stories about interactions he's had uh, with all the with all the heckling that I'm sure if you are an avid listener to this podcast, you know, you know well about at this point and you know who the Toastman is and what he does during games. But it's great to just hear some stories, including some of uh, – his, his best heckling that he he's thought of, which, uh, which was really interesting to hear. And I won't spoil that too much because you got to hear it for yourself. But it, it was pretty funny. Exactly. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a taste as to one of the ones he told us about. I'm pretty sure it's going to be one of the first things we discuss on the other side of this interview. That it involves a former independent league ball player. And I'll leave it at that. But that one was probably my favorite of all his heckles. And... Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of really good stories in this and uh, we obviously didn't just talk about him being the toast man because let's be honest while that is a big part of why we had him on I don't really think it would hold up that much there wouldn't be that much substance we do talk about some other things as well Uh, all in all though it is a really good interview here and I think uh, after three minutes of kind of propping this up here we might as well just kind of jump headlong into this here and really give the people what they want I agree. You just got to give the people what they want. They wanted the toast, man. They're here for the toast, man. Nick, I say give them the toast, man. Oh, we're going to give them the next hour for the toast, man. So here you go. Here's our interview with Rod Blackstone, a.k.a. the toast, man. All right, we are back again, another interview this week, and I'd say it's probably been our most requested guest to, to get this gentleman on the show, and we're excited to bring him on now. Uh, you may know him as the Director of, Front of Fun for the West Virginia Power, but you probably know him a little bit better by his uh, pseudonym, The Toast Man. We now welcome to the show Rod Blackstone. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing all right. Baseball is coming back to Charleston, West Virginia, and the rest of the countryside, so it's a good day to be us. Absolutely, and I kind of imagine when I look out my window and I see gray, rainy skies that baseball coming back is going to be a welcome change from 40 degrees and rain. Exactly. I'm with you on that. I used to say it's a beautiful day for baseball, no matter the temperature or the uh, conditions. But um, I think one year, whenever we opened up in a snowstorm in April, I was uh, that that uh, that was challenged a little bit. Well, I mean, if you just paint the baseball, say orange or something like that, I'm sure it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> more fitting with the team colors. If you painted it a nice uh, yellow color, then you can maybe make it a promotion. But oh, okay, uh, oh, we've got uh, we've got gold in our in our uh, team color, so that might be helpful too. Yeah, even better. I mean, you just gotta make the best of these situations, and I guess uh, with that, I could you know beat around the bush from this, but I I think I need to just open up with the the standard question, which is I kind of need to know the origin of how you became the Toast Man, because when we first heard about this, or Will first told me about this. I was so mystified by like the enthusiasm and the passion that would come across uh, through this. And then the more and more I talked to people around West Virginia and the organization and they kept, you know, talking about this, that was the question that came to my mind. I was like, how did this all get started? Because I can only imagine that this really creates a fun atmosphere in the ballpark. Well, it, it's a kind of a long story, but I'll try to give you the uh, shortest version possible. And, and that is, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, about 20 miles north of Pittsburgh. So I grew up in my formative years, the Pirates, uh, Roberto Clemente was playing, Willie Stargell, Rennie Stennett, Dave Parker, and a whole bunch of other, and Steve Blass and some of those other quality Pittsburgh Pirates. And we'd go to Pirate games probably about a dozen times a year in the formative years. And then increase that as uh, I grew older and fell in love with baseball. And uh, when I moved to Charleston, West Virginia, it was 1986. And then in 1987, uh, Charleston had been the AAA team for the Pirates uh, yeah. before I got here. Dave Parker, the legend has it, to hit a home run, uh, the longest home run in history, because it landed in a coal car on the railroad tracks beyond the right field wall of old Watt Powell Park. And the ball didn't stop until the coal train stopped in Cincinnati. But that was before my time. But we'd been a triple-A city in Charleston. And, and then uh, that triple-A team moved. And that's around the time I got here. And uh, so, when I, to be perfectly honest about it, when I first got to Charleston, I kind of figured that minor league baseball, especially low-A baseball, was beneath me because I was used to all those great years of Pittsburgh Pirates. Hmm. But in 1990, we had the Charleston Wheelers, a guy named Dennis Bastine, had uh, formed a co-op team here in 1987 in the South Atlantic League as an expansion team, and then became a, Cub, became a Cubs affiliate and a Reds affiliate. In 1990, a friend of mine who grew up in northern New Jersey and was a Yankees fan was paying closer attention to the Charleston Wheelers than I was, and he was noticing that they were winning about 10 games in a row. And it was, it was getting more and more exciting in the second half of the season as they were playing effectively to, in, in a pennant run in the second half of the season that year. He said, we need to go. This is a lot of fun. The stadium announcer, the radio play-by-play guy who had earlier said in the year, hey, if this team wins 12 games, I'll let them shave my head at home plate or on the pitcher's mound. Well, it actually happened. And the Wheelers, the Reds affiliate, 
We're surging toward uh, the playoffs, and my friend George said, let's go, and I followed him there. And, and that's when I really, that, that's when the minor league baseball bug really hit me. And it was fun, and it was a lot of fun, and the team was winning, and there was some sense that you could just grab onto that and ride the wave all the way to the uh, championship, which is what we did. But one of the things I had noticed is that um, that people in the stands, some of the groups were getting into it, some of the fans were really into it, and others weren't, and I'm thinking, is there a way to get more people into this? I promise you. I never, when I was younger, I never said to my mom and dad that, hey, I want to grow up and be a cheerleader. But I thought, you know, maybe that's what they need. Yeah. So we started doing chants and cheers for everybody, everybody on the team whenever they'd come up to bat. Yeah. And just a little band of us that were in our, our section of the seats, just coming up trying to exercise our creativity and coming up for different cheers to cheer on the home team. Fundamentally, this all started as a way to cheer on the home team as they're playing toward the South Atlantic League Championship and then counting down the outs and things like that. The next year, it caught on a little bit more, and I caught the bug a little bit better. And we'd sit up behind home plate about a dozen rows up in the blue seats at Wattpala Park. Home plate was to our right, down and to our right, and the visitor's dugout was down and to our left. And at one point, somebody struck out, and somebody in our group, I think it was George, the same guy, said, you are coach. And at that point, I'm like, wow, that'll cheer. And so we just started cheering it every single time somebody struck out. Well, then people would get a little more creative and think, okay, hey, let's uh, pursue this a little bit more and get them thinking about being toast before they strike out. And that's when it really started turning the tide, as it were. And so we would chant, you are toast, you are toast, you are toast, and point at them and hold up a sign so other people would cheer, cheer along with us as they headed shamefully back to the dugout after striking out. In 1992, as the Wheelers played again for um, getting, reaching the playoffs, uh, Dennis Bastien said, hey, you can make toast at the ballpark. He loved it. Yeah. And it was. It was catching on at least with a few of us and maybe a few dozen here and a few dozen more there. And tapping into some of the other uh, the left field bleacher bums that were out there every game and whose interest in minor league baseball predated mine. But Dennis Bastien said, let's make toast at the ballpark. There's a plug in play, and you can sit in the front row, bring a toaster, bring a tray. The bat boy can plug you in with an extension cord. We can make toast and wave it at the other team whenever they're toast. And so that's when it really took off, and so I became the guy making toast at the ballpark uh, for the first time. I don't know, maybe ever, but maybe not. And it really turned into something more as we sat closer to the field and uh, so we started saying, you are toast, you are toast, you are toast, and then passing toast out into the stands, presumably so other people would catch it and then wave it the next time, although nowadays it becomes more a collector's item for kids than yeah. an actual uh, prop that uh, the adults use. Mm. So that's how it all started, and, and effectively, that's how I became Toastman, literally. Yeah. And then over the years, as we tried to master the craft, it was the creative voices and funny people that have joined me at the ballpark over the years. We've come up with different ways to cheer on the home team and find out more and more about visiting players and looking for ways to distract the other team. Uh, it started just by thinking, okay, don't be toast. You, you should be worried about being toast. Worry about being toast. The toast is, <laughs> the toast is burning. 
smell yeah. the toast and that sort of thing. So yeah. to get inside the other team's head a little bit. And then, of course, now that now that you can find out so much about uh, professional baseball games and who did what and when and who left the tying run and winning run on second, second and third base uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning to lose the game by striking out, yeah, that, that, that's come up a few times, too. Yeah. I was about to say, it seems like you're creating almost like a college-like atmosphere in the ballpark here where... You're playing mind games on a level that's not really seen in especially minor league baseball, but on a certain level on baseball as a whole. And I just got to imagine that really adds a lot to the experience, not only for the fans in general, but also for the players. Uh, I was just kind of curious, like, what's the general reception from players when they have guys behind home plate waving pieces of toast at them? Oh, it's been it's been evolutionary as well over the years, but I think uh, as as this has caught on and as this has become more and more of our reputation here, uh, I think uh, teams learn to expect a little bit more, mm-hmm. and um, and and so they know that it's coming whenever they've come here. And what we, the other thing that we do, and it's a, it's a group. There's a little place called Rowdy Alley that uh, was left over from the old ballpark and made the transition to Appalachian Power Park in mm. 2005. So you have the toast section right now, which is down front row behind home plate, with home plate ahead and to the right, and then the pitchers I got to our left. And uh, when we built a new ballpark, before I started working for the city, the owners of the team said we want to make sure that there's a plug for you here. So we have. I'm sitting down in the front row with people in the toast section, which is a nice little band of fans that come out on a regular basis, sometimes every game, but maybe not. But uh, that's who we banter with. And then there's Rowdy Alley that uh, came over from the old ballpark sitting up in the little picnic area right up behind the visitor's dugout. And so sometimes we'll... um, We'll have some lively banter between the two of us, and I'll shout up somebody, shout out to someone in the tote in the rowdy alley. Hey, Barb, or hey, Rose, and say something about the player that's coming up in the on deck circle, or that's up to bat, or on the mound, or something yeah. like that. And so it's uh, it's getting to the point where we're trying to master distraction, yeah. and some, sometimes as often as possible to make it as funny as possible and fun and so yeah. the folks on the other team i think are accustomed to it uh some of them have been able to build up um a resistance or what what's the word i'm thinking yeah, like for? a tolerance to inoculation it. to it yeah um, but i've just created a lot of fun memories over the years and also become friends with people not only on our home team but also on the people that i used to heckle or try to distract, and some of which I would succeed at, or we would succeed at, some of whom uh, it never really worked. But just a lot of fun memories over the years of making the ballpark a little bit more fun, making the whole minor league baseball experience, the professional baseball experience, that much more fun for those who uh, sit nearby and want to join in our fun. Absolutely, and baseball should be fun. That that's the whole point. It's, a, it's an enjoyment experience where you go out and you look for a good time, and if you can make it and enhance that experience even more by making it even more enjoyable, you you definitely want to do that. I'm going to give Will a chance to jump in here because I know I've been going on for a while now, so I, I figure I ought to let him get involved in this. I think the, a good place to start, a good question to start with is. What is this whole research process like? Like a team's about to come to town. So like, what did you do to find like, oh, like they, like you mentioned, they left a winning run on in the, in the, uh, 
in the SEC tournament or something like that. So, like, what what is that research process like when a team's about to come to town? Well, it's whatever I can find out in the available time that I have, quite honestly. Um, I've, I've learned over the years, uh, MILB.com was a nice resource because of box scores and things like that. Um, and so if a, if a team was coming to town, I'd be able to go through whatever their recent history was and then maybe click on a player's name and see what their yearly stats were, see who, where they were playing and, and and if for the individual team being able to track down, okay, if this was a close game, I might want, might want to look a little bit further into that or deeper into that and see if there was a critical game situation or a four-run ninth inning and figure out who was on the mound uh, for that team. So it's, it'll it'll be a little bit different in independent ball because um, because. So many different people are coming together uh, for the different teams. There's more turn, a little bit more turnover in teams, as I understand it. Sure. And uh, some college research is not quite as easy. It means I have to research individuals rather than the whole team. But I'm looking forward to it. And what I usually do is uh, free nights uh, whenever our team's on the road during the, the uh, during a road trip get ready for the next homestand and see what I can find out and how much I can find out about the players that are about to come to town for the next homestand and be ready. That doesn't mean I'm going to find out everything, but uh, the internet is an amazing source. I remember back in the days we would, before we discovered all the things that you can find out and before it really caught on so deeply with so many details at your fingertips, there was a time whenever we would just, uh, see what we could do to play off people's names or if we knew a little bit about somebody then we'd uh we try to call attention to that um but uh, and and uh just have some fun with it and, and see where it leads and and good heckling is not just about talking about negativity um because if folks are up there laughing and that's happened a few times that i've heard about then that means they're distracted too and may not be thinking about the next pitch or the next play just for that split second. And maybe it gives our home team a little bit of an edge that way too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to figuring out what I can find out about players coming up. And uh, that's going to be an interesting little challenge to sort of make that transition to independent ball and uh, do it more player-centered research than, and then as I grow more familiar with the teams, be able to make it more team-specific too. Sure. And at least from the players that that I've talked to about about their experiences uh, coming coming to play as the visiting team in in Charleston, uh, they they talk about how after the game or well during the game, you 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 huckle them and everyone has has a lot of fun. And then after the game, you like to you like to talk to them like it's all in good fun, maybe buy them a drink after. So like how important is that to you to like after the game, just be like, to try and like make friends with them a little bit, you know? No, it, it's been very rewarding that way, too. We used to have a sports bar uh, in the older building here that's located along with a ballpark. And so that was a place where a whole lot of people would go and eat after the game. And when that was the case, like the line of the Shields uh, came through with the Lexington Legends, and they'd go up uh, in the restaurant later, and I'd say hi to them and maybe buy them around or even buy them dinner. Um, and, and folks like that, that, that had come through and there's a guy named Tyler Matzik, um, who was a first rounder yeah. for the Rockies. And we had, we had particular fun with him with something that I Googled 
and found out that he ran for fifth grade class president and um, <laughs> dressed in a top hat to be like Abraham Lincoln. Oh so he's on the mound pitching that night and and I brought that up and I said, hey, Paul, is this the same Tyler Magic? And I paused dramatically because that's usually what I'll say. Yeah. I'll introduce my line of heckling or inquiry with it. Do you remember when or is this the same guy that and then do some sort of game situation? So I paused and I said, who ran for fifth grade president and that dressed <laughs> up like Abraham Lincoln complete with the top hat. So I ran into Talamasic in that in that restaurant after the game, and he's like, "I got to tell you, that was so funny that I just had to step off the mat. I called time and stepped off the mat. <laughs> How the heck did he find that out? So that doesn't always happen. That's more the exception than the rule. But those those kind of things, and and I, I think they get it. I think they understand that I'm respecting the hell out of them for continuing to play baseball. Heck, my career ended tragically at the age of 14 when I was a Little League All-Star and then went to Pony League and couldn't hit anymore. So I respect them tremendously for pursuing their dream um, and to keep playing this great game. So much fun. Baseball is great in the sense that it's probably, of all the major sports, it's the one where you can spend time talking with friends and family and creating memories, and it's pastoral enough that you can do it. Yeah, it's moving along. It may need to move along a little more quickly, but there's time to interact with fans and have fun as you're doing it. And I think they, I think most of the players appreciate that, you know, I'm out there trying to give them as much grief as I can while they're between the white lines. But after it's over, it's over. Uh, I've, I've had a few people that, um, that I've sort of called out with uh, some creative heckling that have gotten the best of us and, I'll applaud them either after the game or shake their hand. I said that to one guy a few years ago. I'm going to give you everything I got when you're pitching tonight. But if uh, if you win, I'll shake your hand. If you lose, I'll shake your hand after the game. Right. And you talk about those and, and you talk about those relationships that you've made. I mean, that Matzik story is unbelievable. I know, I know Matzik now in the MLB, of course, he's a, he's a great story because he, uh, he remade his career with the Texas Air Hogs, and now he's back. Uh, he got back to the bigs a couple of years ago and pitching in the playoffs last year. So I guess as far as on that note, is there any guys that you that either came up through the power that you knew as a member of the power or, for example, or like a, an opposing player that you still keep in touch with today? Oh, a lot. Um, Cole Tucker is one of my all-time favorite people. Um, he is, if, if you get to meet him, he's one of the nicest people, not only in baseball, but uh, that I've ever met. Uh, and he's uh, still with the Pirates at this point. Josh Bell, great guy. Very, very happy to know, happy to have met him while he was coming through here. And Gregory Polanco. And there are even some, um, some people that are Facebook friends that I'll com- still communicate with. Uh, Kobe Cradle, who was a member of the Wheelers, way back in the early 90s, and it invited me to his wedding out in California way back then. And so there are all kinds of people I've stayed in touch with, some greater than others, clearly. Uh, but those relationships are really are really special because it's all about creating memories and friendships. Some of my best friends in Charleston, West Virginia, are people I met at the ballpark, too. But others, I mean, uh, every there's a guy named Juwan James who uh, came up to the Phillies organization, also played in the Atlantic League, and uh, when I'm in Florida every year, I'm going to look him up and we're going to go to dinner together. Um, and uh, so I made some friendships with uh, with people that I used to heckle, too. 
and uh, and that that's rewarding. And followed up with Anthony Hewitt. I remember actually that my first uh, experience with the Atlantic League was seeing that uh, Anthony Hewitt that I used to heckle when he was a Phillies prospect and called Mr. Muscles at the time, and he drove two home runs over the fence in that series that were still rising as they went across the fence. We weren't necessarily close friends, but we developed a friendship. So I saw that he was playing for the New Britain team a few years ago, and they were playing in York, Pennsylvania. So I thought, hey, I'm going to call him up. Hey, I'm on my way up north to go see some people. I see this game's happening. Um, I think I'd love to catch up to you at the time. He said, sure. Left me on the pass list and was able to uh, uh, catch up to him and uh, spend some time with him afterwards. So it's that kind of friendship. There are a lot of great young people who play baseball. And uh, it's rewarding to get to know them in some form or another recognizing that I might be heckling them and trying to distract them um, at one minute and then later on just making sure they know I respect the heck out of what they're doing. For sure. And uh, as someone, I know uh, when I, cause I'm from New Jersey. So when, when Cole Tucker came to town as a top prospect, when he, he was, he moved on from West Virginia at that point, he was in Altoona. Uh, I, I actually did get a chance to meet him in Trenton and absolutely. He is such an unbelievably nice guy. Like, talked to every kid, signed every ball, met like super, super, uh, super nice guy. And I know, uh, I mean, because Keith Brian Hayes played with you guys too, right, at one point? Oh, yeah, another nice guy. He's he's quieter. But you talked about just a genuinely nice person. He's not quite as outgoing as Cole is by comparison. But, yeah, he's Mm -hmm. just incredibly genuinely nice and pleasant and just, just, I mean, that's the kind of those are the kind of folks that you uh, that you meet here, and, and and in professional baseball, and the kind of people that you get to know and respect even more that way. So there are a lot of people like that. Um, my favorite manager was Joe Mikulik. Uh He managed in the South Atlantic for 14 years for Asheville, and so every year he'd come to town, and he'd uh, and we'd talk a little bit before the game as he's coming and getting into the dugout and coming up to say hi. Um, and we had a lot of fun with Joe, including the 12-foot by 6-foot uh, eight-panel poster that we made of him for about one of his meltdowns that he had uh, that happened in Lexington, Kentucky that season. And then, but Joe, so we did that one, one day and said, this is your manager, and he kept his cap to us. The next year or two, uh, we opened at home against them, and he was up in the restaurant after the game. And Joe said, Coach, man, i got to tell you something. I've been warning my team about you throughout all spring trainings. Guys, we're going to be on the road. We're going to hit the road soon after the season starts. We're going to open on the road in Charleston, West Virginia, and you need to be ready for the Toast Man. He's going to try to distract you with everything he can. He's going to try to find out as much as he can about you, and he is going to try to get inside your head. So, Toastman, I was warning them about you all this time. And then tonight happened, and quite frankly, I was a little disappointed because you you failed to live up to the expectations of that creation. <laughs> and I'm just like dying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he just, he just faced me in a big way. Hmm. <laughs> so he's like, oh, yeah, Joe got the last laugh. And so he said that I had disappointed him because I wasn't quite on top of my game like uh, he told his team I would be. So it's that kind of fun. It's that kind of a memory that we create by just having fun with people that are out there playing a game. Now, it's serious for them because they're trying to make a living at it, but I think they also know fundamentally it's a game, too. 
sounds like Joe was throwing down the gauntlet to you. Oh, yeah. Now, it was later in that very same season that the Tyler Massick uh, so I thought, okay, I'm I'm, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs a wake up call sometimes. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I know. Uh, I guess before we, we get into all about all about you know the indie ball and the transition to indie ball, I definitely want to give Nick an opportunity before we get into that. Yeah, I just had a, a couple other questions here, and some of them were uh, were from fans that. I said, oh, if you want to ask a question, make sure you comment it in so that way we can get it in. So uh, a couple questions that I saw that I thought were really good that I wanted to, to mention was someone wanted to know what was your most esoteric burn? What's the most uh, like finite one that you came up with that was so niche that only the player or perhaps a handful of people would really understand? Well, um the Tyler Massick thing comes to mind, but also there was a similar kind of thing with a guy named Matt Hopgood, who was a, a high draft pick of the Orioles years and years ago. And again, this was before we, I could really have all the stats at my disposal on my fingertips, but I did a uh, Google search about him and came across this, this online, a uh, story from the weekly newspaper that did a feature on this young rising star who I think had just been drafted by the Orioles, as I remember. And it quoted one of his friends talking about uh, Matt's uh, ferocious uh, appetite and mentioned this story about um, that one time he was over visiting Matt after school one day and they were going to have some cereal and Matt ended up eating a whole box of Fruity Pebbles. (laughs) So naturally, I read that, and I'm like, okay, I've got to go to the store. I'm going to get some fruity pebbles and take them into the seats. <laughs> Use that as a, quote, temptation for Matt Hobgood. So I'm, I'm bantering loudly to the rowdy alley from the folks in the toe section, anybody who could hear about this story, and then holding up the box of fruity pebbles and sort of moving it in and out like it's tempting him from the mound. And and I think he appreciated that too and thought, wow, who would do this sort of thing? What kind of crazy man takes a box of fruity pebbles to the ballpark and uses it as a verbal weapon and prop? So that that, that one comes to mind too is one of the fun experiences. Uh, awesome. And so I, I had a couple other ones. I think I had uh, two other main ones that were asked. And if I see other ones in my notes, and I'll I'll mention it later on, but Someone wanted to know if there was going to be, given the long break since the last game, if there's going to be a drop-off in the velocity of the toast throwing. Are we still going to be able to reach several? Oh, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, if you think about it, I have, well, I mean, I'm probably going to be a little bit off my game. It's a good thing Joe Mikulich's not coming for opening night. He'll be more disappointed. One is the voice won't be at mid-season form because I haven't had a chance to be out there exercising the voice and, um, trying to shout at the top of my lungs or at least in some bellow, I should admit bellow is probably a better verb, bellowing yeah. cheers for the home team and heckles and bantering. So we're out of practice doing that. We're out of practice tossing the toast. We're out of practice um, in a lot of ways and doing the research. So I've got I've got some catching up to do. No question about that. So yeah, I, I might lower expectations as the season begins and say, okay, give me a chance to get back in my game in hopes that I can, you know, meet some expectations or at least keep the fun going in some form of what it used to be. It sounds like what you need is a trip down to Florida for Florida for spring training is what it sounds like. 
Yeah, except uh, when I would, I would, that would be part of my usual uh, March madness, I guess. I yeah. would go down to spring training, go to Pirate City, see who might be coming here as they're, when they're a Pirates affiliate. Now, the problem with doing that is that when you go to the minor league um, ballparks to catch up with people, which I used to do every year, um, then there's no heckling. They're cheering at those games because you're yeah. doing a complex. And so, yeah, no cheering, no practice there. But in, in a rental car by myself, as I drove around Florida, I tried to get the voice tuned up a yeah. little bit. Ah. All right. So uh, then I think the the last thing I really had here from the fan questions, and like I said, if I find other ones, I'll be sure to bring them up uh, at the end. But is my understanding that you do have family that's in the Atlantic League this year, correct? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> so we need to know will he be getting any uh, sort of special treatment or will he get the usual charleston experience well it is kind of interesting and actually i think the last time i was at an atlantic league game was in 19 uh, 2019 mm -hmm. uh when a friend and i were going to see the the power play against lakewood one weekend All right. and visit some other friends that were up in that area and uh my nephew, Kent Blackstone, playing yeah. for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. They were actually playing in Connecticut, at, uh, in, in um, New Britain, yeah. actually. Happy coincidence. So I was able to see, um, see him play a game uh, for Southern Maryland. That's when Mike, who is from the toe section, Michael and I made that trip. And that's when he noticed the, uh, the umpires taking a second to make a, make a ball and strike call and noticed the earpiece. And that's when we learned all about uh, the automatic balls and strike calling too. But so I got a chance to see Kent and knew that he was still, um, hoping to be playing for, uh, Southern Maryland last year. And of course, then that got bagged. And that he just signed this week with them. And in a happy coincidence, from my perspective, um, we actually open our brand new era of baseball here in Charleston, West Virginia, against my nephew's team. Uh, I noticed that it came up in a um, in a conversation last night as he was uh, doing, or yesterday as he was uh, doing sort of a video uh, interview with folks. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I've already talked to some of the rowdy alleys and the toe section friends to say, guess what? My nephew's coming on opening night. Uh, I'm not sure that I can heckle him or say nasty things about him. I'm not even sure that I can do you are toast to him, to which, without exception, mm. um, about uh, half a dozen friends of mine that I've mentioned that to, uh, my fellow revelers and heckling and cheering said, you might not be able to, but we still can. <laughs> so, yes, Kent is not going to be off the hook. Now, does that mean I'm going to bring up family secrets loudly and, you know, mm -hmm. try to embarrass them? No. Yeah. I'm not going to do that to my own nephew. And it will be interesting to see if he does strike out. Yeah. Whether I'll be leading the UR toast chant and waving the toast at him or if I'll uh, defer to others to do that. Um, I haven't figured that part out yet. But yeah, Kent knows it's coming. Okay. Uh, we, we've, we've, uh, we've sent a few messages about that so he knows it's coming. And yeah. remember, 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 sometimes the best heckling is not negative, but it's fun. Yeah. Of course. And I'm already starting to think about ways that uh, I might be able to have a little bit of fun with my nephew that might still be distracting. So it's going to be an interesting challenge for him and for me. Yeah.
I, I don't think it's going to be much of a challenge for the Rowdies, but I think there might be, because somebody had suggested something about the gene pool coming up in conversation. <laughs> it gives you a great opportunity to get really creative. I'll certainly say that much. And so It will be different. It will be, but it will, we'll have fun. We'll have fun with it. And after the game, I'll give him a hug. Yeah. And, uh, and, and probably buy him dinner too. <laughs> 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 All right. So with that, I guess I'll let uh, I'll let Will lead the discussion on uh, on this new era of uh, power baseball and uh, this whole transition from affiliated to unaffiliated in the Atlantic League. At seeing us, he's kind of our Atlantic League guy around here. So uh, Will, you can take it from here. So, so Rod, it's obviously in Charleston, West Virginia. They've had affiliated baseball there for a long, long time, and they've always been affiliated with major league teams. So I guess when you started to hear rumblings, as um, as I'm sure we all did, uh, about, hey, they're going to be looking to contract teams, they're going to be looking to uh, cut cut down to only 120 affiliates, I guess, did it ever, ever cross your mind at the time, like, oh, man, like we, we could be losing affiliated baseball in Charleston? Well, it, uh, it really started in, in like October of 2019. That's when it really got onto our radar screen. Um, I, in 2019, I became a consultant effectively for the West Virginia Power, um, hired by the managing partner, a guy named Tim Wilcox. And it was arranged to be a consultant because I had connections in the community to help sort of reestablish and try to get the team to um, to trying to use my community connections and uh, my understanding of people in the community and, and different uh, employers and things like that to, uh, to, to continue the growth of baseball here in Charleston. Um, and so I was still working with them uh, in the 2019-2020 offseason, working as a consultant, marketing consultant, doing some government relations, doing some media relations. Um, and that's whenever Tim Wilcox first heard about it um, and learned that uh, there was going to be a list of 42 teams and then the, and that we were probably on it. And then, of course, it got leaked and publicized that we were on it, Lexington was on it, of the A-ball teams. So, yeah, we've known about it for a while. We've known that it was, that it was possible. Um, we did what we could do to try to uh, make the case here. Uh, when, as they mentioned, coming out of the gate that, okay, the reason we're trying to do this from the major league level is we want to regionalize affiliations so that the West Coast teams don't have to go to Iowa and East for their class, their low A class affiliations. Uh, we want to cut down on the travel in the in the leagues. And I did the South Atlantic League schedule. I was the official league scheduler for the South Atlantic League for 10 years wow. when it expanded to include Lakewood, New Jersey, and at that time, Lake County, Ohio, um, and Rome, Georgia, and Savannah, Georgia, back in those days. So I knew firsthand that, yeah, that's a legitimate criticism, that we should really... We should be able to realign Class A baseball mm-hmm. and cut down on the long bus rides. I, I got that. I understood that firsthand. So when they said those those were the two criteria, two major geographic criteria, and then that the uh, the facilities, yeah, they wanted to play in better facilities than some of these cities have. 
well, so we made the case, we made the case as best we could to say, listen, okay, those are your criteria. You know, we shouldn't be on the on the preliminary uh, cut list because we've got a great facility, new field five years ago, built in, and opened in 2005. Um, we are geographically, we're within a four-hour drive of three major league teams, so we connect that way. Also made the case about league geography that you drive a 350-mile radius around Charleston, West Virginia. You've got seven major league teams, 60 minor league teams, including 26 full-season Class A teams. Uh, so if you any way you wanted to realign, you can realign with us in mind. Uh, and because we can be high A, we can be low A, we can be close to the, close enough to a Midwest League, we can be close enough to a South Atlantic League, we can be close enough to any any way that you redraw your lines. We should we can be part of that. So we we made our case. Uh, that, that case didn't win as as the whole process played out. And by last December, it became increasingly clear that we were going to be on the outside looking in. During the course of the last summer, um, the managing partner and our general manager here were smart enough to realize, you know, we need to be prepared for whatever and started looking at alternatives that were emerging from independent leagues, including the Atlantic League or Frontier League that were, that we'd be within the footprint, um, and or prospect leagues. Dennis Bastine, who, you know, created the Toast Man and, uh, brought Single A baseball here in, back in 1987, these, the Prospect League, a wooden bat college league through the Midwest, where we, they have a team just a little south of here in Beckley. So we were looking at different options and still trying to make the case. And our United States Senators, Joe Manchin and Shelley Moore Capito, were doing what they could do on the political front to make the case. It ended up shaking out that uh, we were on the outside of the major league, minor league system looking in. Yeah, and that, that hurt a little bit, especially because we were making, a, we thought, making a strong case to say, if these are your criteria, we should be, we should make the cut. But, uh, quite honestly, as, as I've learned more and more about that entire system, about how Major League Baseball is, is really, is changing the nature of, uh, professional baseball and the relationships they have, not only with affiliated teams, but also with previously you know, the independents that are un- unaffiliated and yet now increasingly associated with Major League Baseball, that there were some new options. Lexington was in the same boat. Um, sort of geographically, they could go Midwest, they could go Southeast, but they end up in the same boat as we were. And that's created a fascinating synergy here mm-hmm. because every year we go over to Lexington. We'd have a group, if we weren't playing at home, if they were hosting the power, we'd go over to Lexington for a weekend and uh, watch the power play. And people from Lexington would come here, so there was already a little bit of a rivalry there. So the way where we've landed is just a joy to me, because even with the innovative ownership uh, structure, uh, with Andy Shea stepping up and saying, hey, we we really want to be in the Atlantic League and we need we need to do that together with Charleston, and so that's a, that effectively helped create and put us over the top to make that become a reality. And so we're able to do some creative things in conjunction with folks in Lexington. Um, we are we're in a position to be able to 
sign people that used to play here and sign people that have major league experience to come here and sign people that um, might have a local connection, WVU, Marshall, or some folks that uh, might have grown up here and gone on to professional baseball careers and be able to get their friends and family to come out and enjoy baseball. So where we've landed is is really a good place and uh, and, some, and something that I'm looking forward to. I think it's uh, it's become much more positive than we thought it would be as we were enduring it, especially a year and a half ago when the news first broke that we might be on the outside looking in or we're on the preliminary cut list for Major League Baseball. And as someone who is who is so involved in, in the community of, of Charleston, West Virginia, I mean, I can tell you're certainly excited about uh, being able to land uh, in the Atlantic League. We've seen so many teams who are, who are not as fortunate. I mean, whether they're now playing summer college ball, some have nothing at all. Uh, so I guess I, I can tell you're definitely excited about it. But as far as the, the surrounding community, how do you think the fans are going to receive the powers transition to the Atlantic League, or how have they received it to this point? So far, every, everything that I have read in social media and had in conversations with people at the grocery store, wherever I run into folks that uh, ask about it, uh, so far it's all been positive. And now there, there was it was an interesting transition for our community, having been the AAA affiliates back in the mostly 70s and early 80s before the team, the Charlies, moved to Maine. Um, and so we lost AAA baseball. And when, when single-A baseball came here with Dennis Bastine and through that era, there were some people who were like, well, it'll never be the Charlies. And so there were some people that got turned off by the fact that we were now five runs below um, the, uh, the major leagues on our system as opposed to one step below. But by and large, what people around here realize is baseball is still baseball. And we're going to have fun at the ballpark. And, and besides that, this is one of the things that I, I learned in sort of a loose, unofficial association with baseball over years and occasional professional association connection to it. But the, the best baseball experience, uh, most of the fans there aren't, don't know who you're affiliated with or don't care. They don't care who the other team's affiliated with. And it's baseball, and it's kind of live-action drama, reality show on the field and in the stands. And uh, you're there enjoying the, the beer and the hot dogs and the fireworks or the giveaways or the fun and the conversation um, that you can have at a baseball game that it's harder to have at other sports. And most people... The most successful franchise, when the fans are leaving the ballpark and they're doing their surveys, they're saying, hey, do you, do you know who we're affiliated with? Oh, no idea. Did you have fun tonight? Oh, yeah. What was the score? Um, I think we won by one, but I'm not sure if it was 6-5 to five or 7-6. to six. Right. So most of the fans, the baseball experience is what matters. The, the shared experience, the memories that baseball creates. The fact that there's some crazed old man throwing toast and like making toast burn from his toaster at the ballpark, that might be what they remember more than, oh, we're affiliated, we're not affiliated. Oh, that's, that's good, that's not, or whatever, but it's baseball. And that's what I've heard most from people here. When they say, well, um, yeah, we were on the list and then we got cut. Well, but we got the Atlantic League coming and it's baseball and it's baseball. And that's what's the driving force of our community. It's baseball. Baseball's coming back. 
and all across the countryside, you're going to see that, especially after the 2020 season had to be canceled at every level short of minor, of major league baseball, except in Lexington. Let me tell you, Lexington figured that out last year with Florence. And I went yeah. to one of their games. I drove over to Lexington to check out the, uh, bourbon, what was it? The bourbon trail classic yes. that they did with, uh, the sort of round robins, um, with Florence, mm-hmm. Kentucky. That was brilliant, brilliant. And, uh, so they provided baseball and, and that's what people were hungry for over there. And people are hungry for it here too. And it'll be great to see Edwin Espinal come back after he was here, I think it was about six years ago. And Diego Moreno, who pitched for us uh, in 2009 on his way up the ladder, and now is, uh, and we hope, is still throwing, maybe not quite as hard as he was back then, but still uh, a seasoned pitcher who we can cheer for. And all the other folks that are going to be coming through here, it's baseball. And we're, and we're going to enjoy it, um, and it's going to be fun here, and we're going to do our level best to make it fun for everybody who comes through here for the home team. We're still going to be cheering for everybody on the home team as they come up to bat. I mean, that's not going to be different. We'll still have what I call cheers and beers with the rowdies and the toasties getting together at some restaurant or here on the party deck and going over the roster saying, what are we going to cheer for this guy? What are we going to cheer for that guy? Are we still going to do to the wall Espinol every single time Edwin comes up to bat? Yeah, and I, I guess I guess that leads into I guess which is probably my my last question because well well I I used to go to games in Somerset all the time so Edwin Espinal the the crowd absolutely loved I'm assuming it'll certainly be the same there he's a really fun guy so I guess that that was gonna be my last question as I know you're a huge baseball fan very knowledgeable about uh, about the roster I'm sure you're doing research uh, just like Nick and I are on on every signing so. I know it's the roster's still far from complete for the power, but what are your what are your early impressions of the inaugural Atlantic League team, the West Virginia Powers roster? No, so far so good. I mean, I, I appreciate that, uh, that our manager and our pitching coach are are really trying to reach out to a whole lot of different people and um, and working. And Lexington, the folks in Lexington got that experience last year whenever they had to put together rosters for their Bourbon Trail Classic. And so there's some of that happening over with the Lexington folks and the folks that they are bringing in to, to lead our, our on-field team. And so they're handling a lot of that, but so far, so good. Uh, now, I'm not yet thinking about what we're going to cheer for everybody that's coming sure. here, but I am appreciating the, all the different websites and such, especially your all's postings about who's playing for other teams because that's going to help me start doing my research. Uh, on the other teams and the other players, and so I haven't done that. I haven't started that just yet, but that's come up. I'll be I'll be really hitting that to probably starting next week or so. And I'll start my research based on some of the postings that you all have been making. That's very helpful for my end. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Really, I really do appreciate that. I'm glad. I'm glad it helps out. I'm glad it helps out somebody because it's certainly uh, certainly a blast to make. Certainly a blast to to research. And I guess with that. Uh, I'll, I'll send it over to Nick if he's got if he's got anything else. Yeah, I have I have a couple questions I did find in my notes that some people wanted to to ask, but I was I was curious personally. Just one last thing here, and that's just if you'd have anything to say to people that may be just finally starting to get back onto the bandwagon of the team, or maybe they weren't as aware as they could have been 
of the club in town, or maybe they have apprehensions about that different level. I know we just kind of talked a little bit about how, you know, there's there's some people that, you know, they notice the drop off in talent and may not be convinced. So uh, if there's anything else further on that point as to what you'd say to convince them that, no, this is still, if you're coming for baseball, still good baseball. If you're coming for the experience, you're still going to have a fun time. Yeah, well, and not only that, though, one of the other other considerations, especially landing in the in the Atlantic League, I mean, no offense to the others, because I've, I've been to some other ballparks and some other uh, frontier, I've been to some Frontier League games. I've been to the Can-Am League, actually, mm-hmm. a few years ago, when a guy who had played here was playing for uh, the team in uh, Rockland. Yeah. But the Atlantic League is, is really a good fit because... And I've known this even before this year. The Atlantic League has had the strongest connection to Major League Baseball, with uh, more likely to have some of the um, some former major leaguers connecting and playing within the Atlantic League. So it, it's probably, and this is my, and you all would know this better than I would, especially as you follow all the Atlantic mm-hmm. leagues more closely than I do, uh, the independent leagues. Yeah. Um, that. It is. It is probably. The, I think it's probably the premier premier of the leagues because of more experienced players, because of last year's connect or 2019 connection as an experimental league. So that helps. And to that, to the extent that instead of having some young rising stars coming up on a younger team that is much less experienced, by having more experienced players who've been around for a while who, like my nephew, can say, yeah, I've been learning about how you take care of your business um, and playing professional baseball and looking forward and preparing every day. You'll have more experienced players doing that, so I think the quality of baseball on the field uh, may be even better in the Atlantic League than it would have been in the low A League. So I'm happy to, to share that sort of perspective with anybody who asks and says, well, it's going to be a whole lot different. Yeah, and, and we, we got spoiled, but maybe by having the Cole Tuckers and the Josh Bells come through here and seeing Bryce Harper on his way up and Kristen Yelich and Hunter Pence and, uh, and others. Um, and then that was fun. But, but again, for so many people, the baseball purists know who those folks were or as rising stars, but most people didn't. And so now we'll be able to look at a high qual- higher quality product on the field, probably, and be able to say, oh, well, we get to see this guy now that we know who he is. And so I think there are advantages that way to the, to the independent connection, especially with the Atlantic League that I'm pleased with. Yep, absolutely there. And so I guess I have two other fan questions that I did find scouring through my notes just now. So I'll ask those and then we can, uh, then I'll give you some time at the end to, to say anything that we may have missed. But, I do want to know here, because someone did ask, uh, first off, how much bread do you go through in a season? That, that was a question that someone had thrown out there. Well, I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure that I've ever figured it out completely, but um, at the Kroger, I could get a large loaf and white instead of wheat. I've tried wheat a few times, but it, it smells different whenever mm-hmm. it's toasting. Uh, so white instead of wheat, and I can get, um, I think it, last time, well, 2019, I could get like, uh, what was it, eight loaves for $10 uh, of large loaves of, of uh, just store-bought 
slow brand bread. Yeah. So a really good night is going through two loaves, and that's tossing out like three or four slices per strikeout. So a, a really good night is a three loaf night. Not to be confused with a yeah. three dog night, but um, yeah, but two loaf night is generally what I'm going through. I think on average. Mm, okay, cool. And so what I'm thinking here is a bakery really needs to sign up to try and sponsor you here. I'm thinking they slap a magnet on the side of the toaster and they give you all the bread you can toast. <laughs> I'm open to suggestion. I'm happy to. Um, I, I, there was one year that uh, we did have a bread sponsor. Yeah. And uh, and I would hold up at some point and say to fans around me, but it was only within earshot of me necessarily. And that's, yeah. that can be pretty big earshot because <laughs> mid season I can have a pretty big voice. Mm. But I would say, yes, when you want to loaf around the house, here is the bread that you need to get. Yeah, that sort of thing. So I'm happy to have a sponsor if that'll help. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking it would help out your wallet an awful lot if they if they made that deal with you. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I certainly, I like I said, I have a few more here. And one of them, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with them by the way they asked the question. So I'm going to change the wording a little bit here and just say, is the heckling limited to just players and coaches or would say an umpire possibly be uh, in the line of fire? Well, um, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I've been a consultant with the West Virginia Power rather than a full-time employee. So, mm. you know, if I could be down in my seat and I pay for my seat, yeah. um, and that way the umpires could not necessarily complain about me to league officials saying, huh. hey, this is an employee of the team who's heckling us, and that's just wrong. Mm. So, yeah, I, I become a fan of game time for one. Uh, number two, there was a, a nice young man named Andy who was uh, a, an umpire that would help pinch hit if um, if the assigned by the league umpires had an issue or had another something that came up, and Andy would be there. And so, yeah, we had a great fun with Andy um, yeah. whenever he was sort of a substitute umpire and then also noticed him in the University of Charleston game two years ago. It was, yeah. Actually, it was last year before the before COVID hit. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, Andy. Um, let me tell you, Andy is a, is an umpire and does a nice job at it. Andy has joined in the fun in the toe section for many, many times, and is sometimes even more vociferous than I am. Hmm. Just saying. It sounds like he he's trying to become your apprentice then. Uh, he could be. I mean, I am getting old, so maybe after his umpiring career is over, he can take over. Be a nice, seamless transition into it. And so, mm -hmm. uh, so with that, there's only one fan question left here, and I do appreciate you taking so much time to talk to us today. Um, and someone just wanted to know, what was your favorite response or reaction you've gotten out of a player? I know we've talked about a couple of, uh, of occurrences throughout the past hour or so, oh, but uh, I was wondering if there's any that we may have missed that, uh, that particularly come to your mind. Well, most of them have been fairly positive. I, I, there, there are two sort of situations that come to mind. First and foremost, I, I do appreciate that not everybody likes what I do at the ballpark. Mm. need to make sure that people understand that. There are people, especially real baseball purists, who think that uh, this uh, aging gentleman standing up and heckling and pontificating and trying to crack jokes is just not what baseball is all about. So they usually sit several sections away and just avoid me like a plague. Mm. But sometimes there are people that really don't like it very much. And, and this was a Lexington story several years ago. It was a uh, Thursday night. There's 
it was in April and it was early into the season. I think it was the second week of the season on a th- cool Thursday. Mm. And we had a doubleheader that night because of the rain out. And uh, there, by the second, midway through the second game, there were only the regulars still left in the stands, as you've probably seen in yeah. ballpark, ballparks all across the country. Let me premise this with this story that mm. good, focused baseball players can tune out a voice, especially if it's a voice that they can grow accustomed to and just tune it out. Uh, of all the, the senses that we have as human beings, the sense of smell is the most effective one. So years ago, I learned how to double burn the toast and would put the toast that's already been toasted back in the toaster mm. and sort of get the smoke coming out of the toaster. Well, that night that was happening in the second game with about maybe a hundred of us still left in the ballpark. And wouldn't you know, there was just a nice gentle breeze that was blowing from the west from behind me and taking waft, taking that wafting smell and that wafting cloud of toast mm-hmm. smoke right over home plate. And, uh, and it just hovered there during the, um, during somebody's at bat. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a critical game situation or not, but it just hovered there. And sure enough, we're all there chanting, uh, smell the toast, smell the toast, power up the toaster, that sort of thing. Yeah. And sure enough, he, he struck out. Yeah. And the manager for Lexington complained to the home plate umpire and actually called time after that happened, walked down to the umpire and was talking to him about, about it. And I noticed they were looking up at me and I thought, okay, um, hmm, hmm. I think they're talking about me. Sure enough, then the uh, home plate umpire comes back to behind the plate, calls the uh, in-game host down and says something to him. And the in-game host comes over and says, yeah, no more bringing the toaster. We're going to throw you out of the game. I'm like, really? Oh. Uh, no. I wasn't offended. I wasn't going to show up the umpires by keep by doing that still. But yeah. all it did was to fire up the rest of the rowdies and the toasties oh, okay. who just let their manager have it and just like you can't handle the toast. <laughs> and so yeah, so I, I will warn people if you're new to the Atlantic League or new to the new to the toast experience, the the worst thing you can do is you know um, respond. Yeah, because our our response will never end. Um, <laughs> You just don't poke the bear. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that one came to mind, and one of the others was um, there's a guy named Alex who was a catcher first baseman for mm. uh, in the Orioles organization a few years ago, playing for Del Marva. Mm. And Alex was very intense. Now, the other thing that you have to also know is that if you have any displays of anger, we will take note of that. If Players that slam their helmets, slam their bats. Uh, my friend gave me a Darth Vader toaster for Christmas several years ago, oh. and so we we tune in at that point. If you yeah. if you've shown anger, I'll hold up the Darth Vader toaster, and somebody else gave me a little like doll of Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, and I'll try to generate my best Palpatine voice. Give in to your anger, feel the hatred glowing within you. With every passing moment, yeah. you become more my toaster, you know that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, we do. We do have a nasty habit of, you know, reminding yeah. you of your anger issues. That the rest of that game, the next game, anytime you come back. So yeah. Alex was was particularly um, intense, and uh, he had slammed a bat on his way down the dugout steps, sort of right to our left. 
two hands over the head. Now, that's not something I see very often, but yeah. he had slammed it on his way down after striking out at one point. And naturally, we pull out the Emperor and pull out the Darth Vader toaster and give in to your anger. And sure enough, the next night, he like slammed his helmet at home plate after striking out. So he's just feeding us even yeah. more. So by Sunday, I actually bought a small bat yeah. Uh, from one of our vendors, one of those little mini bats. Yeah. And I'd also gone to the store to get some Captain Crunch. Um, oh. And so on Sunday, I thought, okay, well, surely he's not going to do this again. And so that doesn't stop me from recreating it. Yeah. So I took the bat over my head and I did a double slam on onto sort of gesticulating like he had done one time whenever he's up. Saying, this is what it looked like. He did a double slam over his head. And then I helped hold up the box of Captain Crunch and yeah. I start hitting the mini bat on that and saying, Alex is a serial slammer. <laughs> and um, so mm. I thought, okay, we, we made our point. Well, he struck out again. And wouldn't you know, right after that, he did it again. <laughs> <laughs> Two hands over the head, down into the dugout. So there's a slammer and like, Holy smokes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow, I think I tapped into something here. Fortunately yeah. for him, that was the last game he played here. Yeah. But yes, yeah. so that's a warning to anybody coming from the Atlantic League. We will still um, remember any displays of anger and emotion and call attention to those any way we can. Yeah, those are the serial crunch, uh, the serial slammer one was really funny. That has oh yeah, that's that's good. Uh, we really appreciate you taking so much time to talk with us. And as customary around here, whenever we we reach the end of the road as far as an interview goes, uh, we normally like to give the guests you know a couple minutes at the end to you know say anything they want to say. Maybe we didn't touch on a topic, or maybe we moved on uh, from a topic too quickly, or they have something they want to promote. Uh, if you have anything like that uh, to say then uh, now's the time to do so the, the floor is yours well i appreciate that and i'm, I'm going to be following you all season long because uh, you're going to be up to date and, and on top of a whole bunch of things as related to roster moves for all the teams that are going to be coming through here as the atlantic league is uh, is restructured and redesigned with us in it and i'm looking very much forward to that yeah if you come and i'd be happy to tell anybody who's within a six-hour drive of charleston west virginia Come and join the fun sometime if you have a chance to do that. Come on, come down to the toast section. Um, I anticipate that I'll be there just about every game these days and be happy to uh, have you join in the fun and maybe even lead a cheer and maybe even wave some toast with us. It's a lot of fun. There are a lot of things to do in Charleston when we don't have a pandemic, especially. Um, and happy to have you come and enjoy our city that I worked for for 16 years in the mayor's office and our state that I've been in for more than 30 years and most of my adult life. It's a fun place to be. It's a great atmosphere we have as we're cheering on the home team and just having some fun among ourselves and with all these wonderful people that are playing this wonderful game. So come on down if you have a chance. Come experience the toe section. And you don't have to sit in the toe section. You can sit a few sections away to, you know, for a safe distance. But come experience it. Uh, professional baseball is just a great experience. Uh, no matter what league, no matter, no matter the affiliation, it's just a fun experience uh, yeah. on so many levels, and it's a great thing to do and be part of. So thank you very much. All right, we want to thank Rod again for coming on the show. 
Uh, we really did enjoy talking to him. Again, I wasn't sure what we were walking into with the interview. I figured it was either going to be, you know, it was going to turn out to be more professional like the Rick White one was, or it was going to be ridiculously laid back. And I think it kind of wound up being somewhere in between on that. But definitely Great. a fun interview to do. And uh, it, there was a lot of good stories there. So many good stories. There's so many good stories. Uh, uh, as well as on top of me being obsessed with the Atlantic League, I also do love prospects as well. So I did like the uh, Cole Tucker, Key Brian Hayes talk so, as well. Because, of course, the power used to be a Pirates affiliate for many years before oddly just randomly becoming the Mariners affiliate in 2019 for no reason at all. Uh, but yeah, it was super fun interview. A lot of great stories. And, you know, I might as well just jump into our, our, our favorite one. I mean, Tyler Matzik, I mean, <laughs> a former indie ball guy like Nick Tease before the interview yeah. pitch with the really reinvented his career with the Texas air hogs. Uh, don't really hear that too often, but <laughs> yes, he did. I don't know how you were able to find out that he was, he either ran for class president or, uh, it was the class president in fifth grade. I don't even know how you come up with that, but that was uh, that was very, very funny and very creative. And I think that shows that's why he's so good and attracts so many uh, so many fans and gets the attention of players. It's not just like drunk guy heckling. It's like well-researched and uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, the research is what really does it for me because like I can understand, you know, in 2020, it's easy enough to, you know, look up any particular guy. I mean, essentially the internet makes it possible, well, it does make it possible for us to do this show, and it certainly makes it so much easier to just look up a player. You know, you see someone get signed, you go on to Baseball Reference, you look them up, and then you have all their information there, or you Google their name, and you could just about find everything you want about them going back to high school. But this guy's doing this in the 90s, where he's searching through local papers, he's going through everything here. The research behind this, and just the sheer effort to make it possible, is quite impressive. Not only that, but you also have him officially sanctioned by the team to get an extension cord and a toaster, and to plug it in just start making toast. And not to mention that he also had the, uh, the double burn technique there, which backfired on him the one game, but like... He really is creative, and I think part of the reason why a lot of players do appreciate him is they understand it's good-natured ribbing, and also, it's just fun. Like, I don't know how you couldn't just sit in a dugout here, especially, like, on the second or third game of a three-game set, and you're watching this dude going all out for every game and coming up with just different creative things winging toast around the ballpark and not start smiling and laughing like that's just yeah. it's just fun like uh, he's just such a fun guy to be honest i mean that, that's what minor league baseball is supposed to be it's supposed to be a fun night out at the park and it, it doesn't necessarily need to always be about the baseball for so many people so if you're going for the first time just going to have some fun and you see a guy throwing toast around it's it's a, it's a lot of fun so that's what minor league baseball is supposed to be that's certainly what independent league baseball is so uh it's, it's good to see and i think he'll make i think he'll fit in just fine uh in the atlantic league oh absolutely i mean baseball needs to be fun i mean like we're going to get into a discussion later on like we promised we we're going to talk about last week about you know what Major League Baseball needs to do to kind of increase interest in it or, you know, give the fans what they actually want as opposed to what they think the fans want. That, that's a discussion for later on the show, probably 20, 40 minutes from now. But 
this is just one of those things where it's like, if you see this guy at the ballpark, how can you not just go, this is a fun atmosphere? You know, you mentioned like some of the baseball purists not being happy with the gimmick and with the whole thing. And I honestly got to say, if you're going to a minor league ball game, especially like a low A or an independent league game, yeah, like both of us on the show and a lot of other people, they understand, you know, this isn't just some sideshow gimmick thing. These are legitimate ball players. A lot of them have legitimate careers and have a good enough shot at actually, you know, maybe not reaching the majors, but having a lengthy career. That these are good ball players still. But we're also not under the impression that it is something it isn't. It's still minor league baseball. Their core audience is still families looking for a night out. And when I go to the ball game, still, I'm not expecting it to be the same atmosphere as like game seven of the World Series, where it's like, okay, everything's got to be, you know, right to the nines on everything. I expect it to be a fun time out. Like, yeah, I'm going to pay attention to the game. I'm going to know the players. I'm going to, you know, enjoy it for the baseball itself here. But I want other things happening too. And if you're getting all like huffy and annoyed that someone's having fun and making the experience more enjoyable for other people just because it's not what you want at a minor league baseball game, uh, you're kind of an ass. I got to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a time and a place I get like, See, it would be different if it's just like I keep referencing like the drunk guy incoherent heckling. Yeah. Like it's sometimes that goes a little far and I get I get kind of annoyed, but like this is this is different. I mean it's it's a hundred percent different. Screaming not... you are toast. I mean that's, that's, that's I mean that, that's not the same thing. Of course. So again, it, it's all about you mentioned it, it's all about the atmosphere of a minor league game, of an independent league game. And I mean it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to leave the ballpark and it, like very entertained. And I think no matter what's going on on the fields, you can be entertained by it. That's for sure. Exactly. I mean, like you said, it's not like some dude that took a little bit too much advantage of thirsty Thursdays. Toastman researches his stuff out. It's not just a bunch of random crap. It's legitimate things. And I mean, if you're willing to go back to fifth grade to find this guy dressing up like Abraham Lincoln and chirp him for that, and then you go out and you buy a mini bat from the souvenir shop and some Captain Crunch and start going, he's a serial smasher. And you have the Darth <laughs> Vader toaster with the Palpatine figure. Now that, that's just dedication to the bit. That That's a that legitimate is, thing. Excellent. I mean, like, that, that's honestly that fun. Like, there were legitimate times during this interview where I had to mute my mic because I was laughing too much. <laughs> i just need to see some of this stuff in practice i mean i wonder if you could hear it on the live stream i really hope, so. hope you can like like i gotta say like before when lexington and west virginia were announced and even like after we talked to some of the guys you know maybe not on the show but beforehand i was like i really got no desire to go out to like kentucky or west virginia it's just it seems like an unnecessary trip to make every time these guys keep coming on the show it's like Mm, they're really starting to make me consider this. Like, I can appreciate, like, kind of a calm, standard ballpark experience. You know, there's something to be said about it. But there's a lot to be said about guys like Minor Man, Toast Man. These are local characters. Trumpet Man. Even, even the, the Trumpet Man. Yeah. Like, these are guys that stand out in your mind. They make the experience. And you need characters like that. You just do. Yeah. 
I'm not sure how much more we got to say on the Toastman here, but he, he is a really nice guy. I thought he had some good points about, uh, you know, baseball overall in uh, Charleston. I really am curious to see how the whole Atlantic League shapes out. I think that, I really do think that it's going to work. Like, there's sometimes when you go into a market and you're like, eh, I'm not sure. But they got a good ballpark. Andy Shea looks like he's committed. There's clearly a fan base there. And, uh, I'm going to be extremely interested to see how it plays out. And like you're saying, I really hope that this stuff gets picked up on the live stream. I agree. It's got to get picked up on the live stream or I'll, I'll, I'll be, or I'll be pretty disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, when West Virginia winds up winning the Atlantic league this year, we're going to have the toast man back on to recount <laughs> this whole experience, because I can only imagine him at a championship game that, yeah, because you, you got to ratchet it up. Yeah. So, and well, technically, this is yeah, technically what I'm about to suggest is possible. However, extremely unlikely. Oh, uh, here we go. Imagine if the Atlantic here League Championship go. is West Virginia versus Southern Maryland. Oh no, I, that's not where I thought you were going. I thought you were yeah. talking about the uh, the the whole Indie Ball Memorial Cup thing again. No, 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 no. Although, imagine him at that. That would be a sight to behold. And then, oh wait, if it was. If it was at West Virginia and the miners, as in Sussex County, were there and they brought Miner Man in, holy hell, that would be a sight to behold. I think, that, I think we're brainstorming too much about this. God. That, yeah, no, just imagine, though, if it was Southern Maryland versus West Virginia for the Atlantic League Championship. That would be... We'll, we'll we'll see where his allegiance lies. I th- I think his hand may um, be torn. Um, I think he may have to... I, I understand blood's thicker than water, but... There's a championship on the line. Hey man, I, I I think I think you always gotta go for the chip. I I do. I mean, me. flags fly forever. That's all I'm saying. I mean, like, you put a pennant up, it's it's never gonna go away. You'll always have 2021 Atlantic League champion, first year in the league, and coming out of the COVID, it's a great story. I'm not saying he's gotta go all in. But, you know, a little light chirping. I'm just saying. Plus, Rowdy Alley will certainly uh, be on it. I as think well. Rowdy Alley will take care of him. For, I, I think Rowdy Alley will take care of him for him. But let's hope the Toastman doesn't have to recuse himself. I, I really hope not. conflict of interest. <laughs> it just, I think it would just take away from the experience. And I think the experience is really what's necessary here. Agreed. I suppose we've said enough on uh, on the Toastman. You got an hour plus with him, depending on what that winds up being edited down to. And uh, yeah, so I guess we could, unless you have any other thoughts, we can move on to the rest of the news this week because there is eh, a little bit of news. Um, no, I think I think we pretty much covered anything. Uh, again, very very much appreciate uh, Rod coming on. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely, and definitely definitely welcome back in the future. So for sure. So we'll go on to the first bit of news. On Tuesday, the Sioux Falls Canaries announced that they have been sold to a new ownership group. The deal was announced, like I said, on Tuesday, the 16th. However, it was not finalized until the 12th of of March. So it is a done deal. They took a couple days to announce it, but it is announced. Uh, Brian Slipka, the founder of True North, not the True North that owns the Winnipeg Jets, different True North. Anthony Albanese. And Sam Swartz will now own the club. Uh, One of the owners, I believe it's Garrity, will stay on as a consultant to just help with the transition. Uh, However, 
He no longer owns the team. There are some ballpark improvements coming for the 2021 season. Uh, this was something we discussed in the uh, not that far long ago. I think it was about three, four months ago. We discussed that Sioux Falls could use a new ownership group or was looking for a new ownership group. And it did finally happen here. So I suppose as long as they got pockets and they're willing to spend, which appears to be the case so far, it'd be a good thing. And hopefully a new stadiums in the not too distant future. I think this is definitely a good thing for the Canaries. I think this is a great thing for Sioux Falls because I think what, what we talked about is, listen, this you, you need – we've talked about it time and time again on the show. You need local ownership groups who are willing uh, – who, who are really willing to improve and maybe take a little bit of a loss in order to engage with the community, in order to make this great ballpark experience. And then, of course, down the road, you're, you're making your money, of course, like mm-hmm. you're an owner. So – uh, so I, I mean, this sounds great. The birdcage definitely needs renovations and probably a new stadium in the, in the future, like you mentioned. And it does sound like those things are not too far down down the line, especially uh, especially with the renovations part. I think that's that's what's really really good to hear uh, in this story. It's definitely a great thing for the Canaries. Uh, it's it seems like this new ownership group is. Very energized. They're local. They're they're all about uh, they're all about Sioux Falls, which is which is outstanding. And I think this is long term. This is definitely going to serve them well. Yeah, absolutely. And even if the renovations aren't these massive overarching things, and are just really little things to fix some maybe maintenance issues that weren't handled in the past and now have become serious issues. Even if it's sure. just things like that, it still is going to be an improvement. And like I said, hopefully a new ballpark gets built. I don't recall exactly how old the birdcage is, but I do know it is old. Yeah, it is up there in age. So you can only let that be for so long. I understand that maybe if you're a fan of that independent spirit, a new ballpark may kind of be scary to you just because, oh, if we get a new ballpark, are they going to become affiliated? And that's certainly a possibility, I suppose. But ultimately, I think that's more of a secondary concern because how long can you continue to use the birdcage yeah it's it's a great ballpark from like a history perspective i suppose but from a practical nuts and bolts every ballpark has an expiration date i mean you can only do so many renovations and then you get to the point of at what point does doing so many renovations to the ballpark essentially make it a new ballpark you know so yeah, uh, I, I I don't I don't think that if you're one of those people who look at it like I love being an independent baseball. If we build a new stadium, are we going to go affiliated? I, I I don't know if that's gonna I don't know if that's potentially in the cards. I mean, you look at the location of Sioux Falls. At the end of the day, it's not particularly close to any any uh, specific affiliate. So I mean, you could make a case for the Twins, but the Twins are more than happy in St. Paul. Yeah, so uh, you'd have to be double A then at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't, and I, not to mention, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be double A, and I mean, you're talking. Look at the double A leagues: Eastern League, Texas League, Southern League. I mean, there's nothing there. Yeah. So I mean, so now you're talking like the Northwest, like low A league. Yeah. So I, I don't just, know. Yeah, I, I don't think that would be uh, be the case there. I'm not sure how much interest there'd even be in Sioux Falls being a low A league. So, I mean, who knows on that front there? I don't see it as, I don't foresee it being that big of an issue. So, 
even if a new stadium is built, I, I get the whole like historical aspect for the for the birdcage. But again, a new stadium is probably like three years down the line. At so, least, at so, least three years. Yeah. So yeah, and that's if you get started now. And yeah, and you still need I a place. Like you still need a place to build it. Plus, you need yeah. to acquire that land. Plus, I'm going to assume that these guys that came in, they in of themselves do not have the money to physically construct a like twenty million dollar ballpark. So that means Correct. you're probably going to need government money, or you're going to need additional ownership, which is going to take even more time. Like I'd say, you're if they are getting a new ballpark, it's more like five to ten. I think it's a far more reasonable timeline, and that's if they started actively pursuing it now, which I'm sure yeah. is something they're thinking about, but maybe isn't in the forefront of their mind. Yeah, so I think the more important part of this is that you're getting the maintenance of the birdcage in the meantime that it desperately needs. Because we've seen in places like Staten Island, where the ballpark in Staten Island certainly is not as old as the, the as the birdcage, but if you're letting these little things go, eventually the stadium becomes pretty much unusable in the case of Staten Island this year, or, or this year, so hopefully they can get their stuff together and be an Atlantic league team in 2022. That'd be great. I think that this is undoubtedly a good thing. And it's more about in the short term, it's more about these renovations that you can use to preserve the bird cage, to improve everything with the Canaries organization within the next, within the next few years. And I think that's undoubtedly a good thing, especially with the new ownership group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's what you need to do. And, it's where, yeah, Birdcage was originally opened in 1941 and was renovated in 2000. So even the renovations on it aren't exactly, you know, brand new either. So I think uh, I think if you could get that interest locally up, which is one of the things I said, we want to make the Canaries the hottest ticket in town. And if you can get that kind of interest there where you're selling out, like, say, 4,000 of your 4,500 seats a night, then you can generate enough local support to justify a new ballpark and then you can get them in there. And sure. like you said, you know, it's important to make sure that the maintenance of the stadium and you can maintain what you already have here so you can avoid that uh, Stan Island situation. So with that, we move on to Evansville's new, uh, I guess, branding. They're still the Otters, but they totally changed up their logo. They, I assume, will change up their jerseys on at least in the color scheme, although we don't know what those will look like yet here. And so now we all are kind of familiar with the old Evansville logo where you had like essentially a giant O with an otter out of it and said Evansville otters on it. You know, it was fine. You know, it looked like a minor league baseball logo, maybe a bit of an older one, say from like 05, 06. You could definitely tell that's its original date. Uh, now it's a... It's still an otter, but there's baby blue in it. There's navy, red, white, and then a light and a dark brown for the otter. And I got to say, the first thing I thought when I saw this logo was, ooh, cool, they changed their logo to be the tough guy from a Nick Jr. show because it looks like a child's cartoon. Wow. That's... So I take it you did not, you were not a fan? It's not that I dislike it. Let me put it to you like that. Like, I understand, like, the way I said that and, like, from my general demeanor about this, it would imply... Well, how else were you supposed to take what you just said? Like, I'm just, that's just me being blunt. Uh, like, I understand it. Like, it's fine. It's just, I, I think they could have done a lot better. Like, it's just, it looks like a Nick Jr. cartoon. I mean, I mean like, am I wrong? I mean, I, t 
to me, I'm, I don't really get caught up on uniforms, logos, all that stuff. So, I mean, look, I think it's fine. My main problem is, and this is more of a general point, not so much. When you're going to reveal logos or uniforms, stop. If you, can teams please stop, for the love of God, the day before, teasing it as, oh, this is like, like, like oh, the major some of the hype most lo- significant significant news of the like franchise's history. Like, please stop. Like, just I, if you if you want to tease it, if and say, I'll say that like, I agree with you. If it's just something like we saw with Evansville, or like we're gonna see with Claiborne in just a second, if it's just like you're redoing your logo and your like scheme, fine. If that you don't do that, like it's way overhyping it. If you want to overhype, like okay, we're changing the whole branding, kind of like what Kansas City did. I'm more okay with that because, like, okay, is actually. I like think a- that's different. I mean, that's yeah. changing your your name. I'm not yeah. like the logo. The logo and the name here. The is- logo and the design are yeah. That's way overhyping it. Like they spent like a week hyping this thing up, and it's like, oh, it's a redesign. Yeah, I mean, that was to me. I didn't think that the rebrand was all that significant. It, it's it's fine. I mean, yeah. yeah. But like, legitimately, though, take a look at that logo. You're going to tell me it doesn't look like a Nick Jr. cartoon? I don't want to fully agree, <laughs> but, I, but I, see the, I see the perspective. But, I don't know. It's fine. It's a logo. I, I care more about the baseball on the, on the field, but I mean, it, it's fine. It's not hideous. So it's okay. I mean, to be honest with you, like I have much more of a problem with, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the, you know what? I, let's screw it. Let's go into the Cleburne. I was about stuff. to move it up, over to that. Yeah. So Cleburne also redid their logo and branding. They're still the railroaders, but uh, they changed the logo from what's essentially a railroad spike and some track with the, you know, word mark on it to, What's essentially like the Texas Rangers logo from the 1970s, like the Nolan Ryan, well, that could cover like three decades, that like the 19, yeah, it's really the 1970s and 80s Rangers logo. It's essentially that. It's a blue Texas with a red outline and a C made out of railroad track around like the the top part of Texas. And then when you look at the jerseys they unveiled, it's essentially the Texas Rangers jerseys from right now. I... They really, I don't want, they also, I'll let Will say his point here. There's a reason why it looks like the Texas Rangers logo. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, the actual uniforms themselves, I don't mind. However, and like, look, it's just, you know, like it's literally the Texas Rangers logo. Like, and I, I like the uniqueness of being able to tap into like, like the railroaders, like that's a fun name. Like I, I feel like in this logo and these uniforms, they didn't tap into that enough. Yeah, like they're trying to really get the whole we're Texas baseball thing going on, and it's like, okay, yeah. what makes you more Texas? The fact that it's red, white, and blue now. Like yeah, like if you're really going for that, then shouldn't you be like the Texas railroaders? Like yeah, I know they're still they're still Cleburne. Yeah, so- like it doesn't. Like that, or like, wouldn't you change the name from Railroaders to something more Texan? Like, I, it does seem a bit weird there. Uh, like, honestly, like you said, it's essentially a carbon copy of the Rangers logo. And I understand, like, in the breakdown, they're like, well, we're going off of the original 
Railroad is from like 1909 and that's why we got the the uniform number on the pants and like some other descriptions of it we linked it in the show notes if you want to see what we mean but it does seem like they it honestly seems like the real life meme of let me get your homework okay change it up a bit so the teacher doesn't notice it seems like that (laughs) That also, I saw floating around, uh, like that old uh, office meme of uh, corporate wants you to tell the difference between this picture and this yeah. picture. And it's the same picture. I saw that one floating around. I was like, yeah, it's pretty spot on, especially for the white one. The gray and the the dark blue aren't as bad, but the white is really noticeable. You could really see the resemblance. Really noticeable. I mean, yeah. I just wish it. I mean, the railroaders. It's a good name. It's unique. Like you know, what, I would just like to see that tapped into more than just you know doing the Texas Rangers. That and everything. And just that and the other complaint. And let me be clear. It's not like any of this looks bad. It looks nice. It looks good. I agree. It's just they just basically ripped off the 1970 Texas Rangers. It's just basically what they did. Just something that else kind of annoys me. They had a unique color scheme. They had a navy blue with a gray and like a little bit of like a sky blue and orange in it. That's something we don't normally see in, you know, uniform design. It seems like everybody has red, white, and blue. Can you at least use them in a creative way? And they just didn't. And so it just seems uninspired, to be honest. Yeah, I'm with, that, that, that's pretty much how I view it. Like, it doesn't look bad, but like... The creativity would have been nice here. Or just don't change it at all. But I mean, if that sells in Texas, good for them. I hope it works. Like I said, it looks nice. It just doesn't seem that inspired. I, eh. I, I agree. Yeah. And then the other bit of news to add on to this, uh, they also added three people to the ownership group. Neil Lebman, who is currently the chief operating officer of the Texas Rangers. Now we can kind of I, see. I'm stunned. Uh, how, could, how, could that, how could something like that happen? I wonder who came up with the uniform design. Then oh, there's wow. Alan Miller and then John Ryan. In case you're wondering, John Ryan, that sounds familiar. That's because he's the former NFL punter, played for the Packers and the Seahawks. That John Ryan. Really? Yeah. I know that name. Yeah. Like when they first said John Ryan, I was like, John Ryan, that sounds somewhat familiar. And they're like, you play in the NFL for the Seahawks? And I was like, John Ryan Seahawks. It's like, oh, wait, the punter. <laughs> like, yeah, so they got a brand name attached to it. I think we've said enough about Claiborne. We can now move on to Gastonia, which unveiled their uniforms uh, on Thursday, home away, and Sunday alternates. Uh, I got to be honest, they also seem to follow in a little bit of a generic pattern. They're, again, they're baseball uniforms. They look like baseball uniforms. The home whites, uh, it says Honey Hunters across the front of it in kind of a script type writing. And there's the single pinstripe right by the buttons. The away grays say Gastonia on the front with, I believe that's the Honey Drip logo. And then the black alternates say Hunters on the front of it in more of like the, uh, I guess, pointed type uh, font. And of course... You could call it that. Yeah, that's one way of describing it. And uh, on all of them, they have the two Badger logos on the sleeves. Uh, Like I said, to be honest, it's kind of generic. So... I don't hate it. It looks fine. It's nice. To be honest, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's fine. 
I, I like. I mean, I like their logo to begin with. Exactly. But so it works well. Exactly. Like I fun. like the branding. That's about all I have to say about it. Exactly. Like I like the branding. They didn't try to do anything too much with it. They played it really safe, and it's just looks kind of generic. The branding still looks nice. The jerseys look nice. It looks like a baseball team. That's about all I got to say on it. And I think we can kind of move on from all the rebrand talk. So I really would recommend while you're listening to the show, go to the show notes and uh, pull up links to all of this so you can see what we're talking about. And if that doesn't work, just go to really the Twitter page at IndieBallPod. And I'm sure in the recent retweets, we have uh, pictures of all of this and you can see what we mean. And it'll really, it really will help you out with this. And you'll see what I mean by the Nick Jr. comment. But moving along from that, uh, we have our last item to talk about for the day. And it's certainly the uh, big ticket item, I guess. Last week, we were talking about how Major League Baseball keeps trying to make changes to the rules. You know, adding stupid things like a dumb pickoff rule or two. And trying to increase stolen bases and home runs artificially because that's what people want, supposedly. They want all this high-flying action and whatnot. And so we saw on the show, really, next week looks pretty open. We, at this point, didn't even have an interview scheduled. So we're like, oh, why don't we just turn it into a whole segment to talk about on the show? And so being that we are, you know, fairly deep into the show, and I feel like people that come for sole independent league baseball talk have gotten their fill or can be satisfied with this. And the people that come to hear us talk for whatever reason would be interested in it. I figure, what the hell, we'll actually follow through and give it its own segment. So we're going to take some time now and just discuss like what exactly Major League Baseball should be doing from a fan perspective. Because I think we're kind of that demographic they're trying to hit. They're, we're in that like sub-25 group, which they seem to struggle with mightily. And what could they do to get people like us engaged in there now of course we're already baseball fans so that helps them out a ton and it gives them the perspective here but still i think our point of view could help them out on the rare chance that someone from major league baseball is listening or if not it just kind of gives you a look into the mind so being that i spent the past two or three minutes pontificating to use a word i'm gonna let will talk for a little bit here while i try and search for a bottle of water so I think, like you mentioned, Nick, I just, all these rules, it's just not, it's like, it's this weird perception that they think that's what people want. And then they're surprised when people don't want it. So at least from my view, people who say, I don't watch baseball because it's too, because it's too boring or it's too long. I hear that a lot. I know Nick, you probably hear it a lot as well. If you cut 15 minutes off the game, are they then going to change their minds? They are not going to change their minds because at the end of the day, the time of the game is not really what's holding people back. The real thing is here, the MLB has, has, has completely failed as far as making their content streamable. They've they've completely failed in really incorporating things on on social media to appeal to the younger generation the way they should have and that sounds super generic and vague and you're probably wondering what the hell am i talking about so i will i will i'll explain it a little better let's say i because i i'm a red sox fan who lives in new jersey so i need mlb tv because to watch the red sox games so if i were to see something 
and I so let's say Xander Bogarts makes an unbelievable play, and I want to grab that clip and post it. And let's say I go and I try to screen record it, right? Because that's what that's what you do in a lot of a lot of ways when you're watching a game on your sports, uh, like a sporting event. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could rewind it, whatever. You you screen record it. If you screen record it, it will a, a message will pop up that will say screen recording is not allowed on MLB TV. I I, I promise you. And you wonder, okay, well, I'm I don't really. Uh, I, I don't like. What does that really matter? I don't really watch highlights. Uh, if you're like, oh, well, I don't really watch that many uh, highlights. Like, I don't pull out my phone and try to screen record things I see in a game. Well, here's the reason why it matters. So many people who are who are our age are on are on YouTube constantly, and they learn about the game and they learn about the game's past through YouTube, right? Yeah, and so. And you see this so much in the NBA. That's why you see so many NBA fans now who maybe are a bit younger. And they say, hey, I want to see what what did Michael Jordan – like how did Michael Jordan play? I've never seen Michael Jordan play in person or live. So I would like to go back and see – go back, see some highlights and whatever. Uh, or like for example, like an Allen Iverson, a guy like I was probably a bit too young to see in his prime with the Philadelphia 76ers. And you can see all kinds of highlights, all, even like early Kobe highlights, literally anything you can find that on YouTube. Yeah. There was one day, and, and this really dawned upon me when there was one day where, because I'm, I'm a huge Red Sox fan, so I wasn't really cognizant for the 2004 World Series. The 2007 World Series, I remember it pretty well, yeah. but I just wanted to go back and just, you know, just like refresh my memory, watch it a little bit. It was during quarantine, so I, yeah. I just wanted to watch it. I could not find one video from the division series that year for the Red Sox. The Red Sox played the Angels that year. I could not. I could not find one video that had highlights from Game Three or Four or like like Games One, Two, or Three for the ALCS against the Cleveland Indians. You could find like maybe like oh like JD Drew Grand Slam in the first inning. You might be able to find that, but you were not able to find. Highlights of like 2007 ALCS highlights, 2007 World Series highlights. You cannot find any of that on YouTube. So if somebody's scouring through YouTube and they watch like this baseball, they oh I like it, I want to watch more. There's nothing more to watch. That's the first problem because they're so they're so stringent with what people can use their content. The NBA has been super successful because they have they're basically begging people to take their content. And just just put it out there for free because any highlights of whatever um, of Magic or Bird or uh, Allen Iverson or Tracy McGrady it creates new basketball fans and it could create new baseball fans, but the MLB won't let it happen because they they're so they won't they refuse to let people they refuse to let people share their content because it affects the bottom line and they don't get to make money off it until that changes. Baseball is not going to grow among the, the younger generation. Cause a lot of people just want to wa- want to watch highlights the next day instead of watch the actual game. And that's a market. Those are still people that buy it in merchandise. Those are still people that might go to a game, but, and it's just a market, whether you like it or not, it's a market that you can tap into. And the NBA has completely tapped into it. And my second thing is what you would need to do to really fix it is Take away these stupid blackout restrictions. Oh, yes. It is the worst thing 
on planet Earth. The fact that, I, especially maybe in the New York market, it's a little bit different. For example, I, I can understand that, let's say, because I'm a Red Sox fan and the Yankees are coming to, and then the Red Sox are playing the Yankees and they say, no, you can't watch MLB TV. You have to watch Yes Network. Okay, I, I understand that. There are certain places in the U.S. where like six different teams are blacked out. I'm, and I'm serious because yeah. I, I actually have a friend that lives in Iowa. There are six different teams that claim that area as their territory so they can make money off it. And uh, but then their fans can't actually watch the games there. Can I guess the they six can't teams? can't watch the games there. Yeah. And so it is unbelievable that they haven't been able to figure that out yet. And why these, they're so unbelievable with these blackout restrictions. And they wonder why people aren't coming to the games because – they can't watch the games. Like I can't believe, and because if you watch, if pretty much any good, like NBA matchup, it'll one be on national TV, one or two will be on NBA TV, NBA TV. But MLB Network doesn't even broadcast a game every night. They do like MLB Tonight, and we're like they whip around coverage. Nobody gives a damn about whip around coverage. I don't want to spend hours of my day watching Harold Reynolds talk. Like I, I don't care. The blackouts need to go. Like the, the like the situation I mentioned. Like you, you should watch the local channel. Fine, that's okay. But like you're letting teams claim these ridiculous places as markets, and then screwing the fans that live there. It's just not right. And another thing, we got to stop with this. T- there are only like forty percent of these spring training games are televised. Like holy crap! Like people are trying to people are trying to watch like baseball in February and March. And it's a, it's a solid time to like l- l- get a glimpse into your team's future. And you can't even give them that when you're playing on TV twice a week. And those two times a week, you might not even see your favorite star. They might be sitting. And yeah. so that I just never understood that. And I admit, okay, you don't want to travel that you don't like, for example, the Red Sox are playing the twins. They don't, the Red Sox don't want to send a crew to wherever, to the other, to the Minnesota facility. Fine. Use the twins broadcast. Minnesota should be televising it. You should be. You should yeah, have to televise. Just make the home team televise. This is easy solution. They're plus, if you even want to say, oh well, we don't want to use their their broadcast guys, their on air talent because of you know contract problems. Just simulcast your radio cast. Exactly. Put and on a delay so it's synced. And that that's what they don't understand. People don't want because it's funny. I was talking to Billy Horn a little bit about the rules. And as you can imagine, we were both not huge fans of the rules yeah. uh, about the, about the pickoff rule. You could probably guess that. Yeah. But, and I'm saying like, and, and I said to him, I'm like, Billy, do you think the people who made these rules are thinking, Oh my God, you know, what's so exciting. People like stealing second base, standing up and uncontested without a throw. Cause nothing gets the people more excited than watching people like steal second standing up. Like, seriously, it is so bad. They think that the rules are what change things. They need to make their content more more streamable. They need to stop these stupid blackout games. And yes, it's going it's going to hurt their pockets for a little bit. But down the road, it's going to make things much better. Can I first off just start by guessing the six teams that were blacked out? Uh, in Iowa? Yeah. No, I guess Chicago, Sorry, chi- yep. Chicago, yes. Chicago, Minnesota, yes. Detroit, yes. St. Louis, yes. Kansas City. Correct. All right. Here's what the NBA, and I hate to keep referencing them, but they do have a business model that does appeal to younger people. Now, half of that, I think, is because they understand 
we need to let our stars and our players talk and get out and promote themselves. Now, granted, occasionally it backfires. See Myers Leonard. Now, that said, it also gives you tremendous amounts of traffic because everyone's interested in it. People know the stars. They root less for teams and more for players. And if you're the NBA, do you care that there are less Nick fans, but there's a lot of Emmanuel Quickly fans? No, you don't, because they're still watching your product. The Knicks may care, but you don't care. And that's the important thing to note. More importantly than that, though, they have one thing down, which is marketing their stars. Everyone that is, I'd say, under 27 and is a sport fan could probably name at least five NBA players really easily. And even if you said, okay, you can't use LeBron, name five, they could probably come up with five fairly quick. I'm not an NBA fan. I think I could confidently say I've watched maybe three quarters of NBA basketball since 2015, but I could still name you at least 10 NBA players right now. And that's because they're really good at promoting their stars. And that's something that Major League Baseball struggles at. And I've said it on the show before. Most people don't know who Mike Trout is. Like, if you ask them to name a baseball player, they would probably say Trevor Bauer would be my guess. But the fact that they're struggling to come up with a second and a third name is an issue. People should know Jacob DeGrom's name. He is the best pitcher in baseball in New York. Like, you don't get this that often that you get someone that is just quite clearly that much above everybody else and have him in the media capital of the world. The fact that Jacob DeGrom's face is not over every piece of Major League branding is a crime. Same thing with Mike Trout. People should know about him. But both of these guys also, they don't have that kind of a personality that's going out there and makes you, makes you take an opinion on them. They just seem like really nice guys. They're kind of quiet and they just so happen to be like amazingly good at baseball. But you have guys like Mookie Betts, who is like the definition of the kind of guy you want to promote. You have Fernando Tatis Jr. That's a guy that should be being promoted. Marcus Stroman, now granted not on the same level as those other guys, but he also has a personality that's really good at promoting. Like there are a lot of guys that are insanely talented or at the very least, are very good players that the general public should know. And they just don't know because Major League Baseball does not know how to, you know, market their stars. And that's a major problem. The blackouts are certainly an issue, too. I understand their purpose, but I do wonder how effective they really are in 2020. I mean, like, let's be honest. If I'm in the Boston market and I want to watch a Red Sox game, but I cut the cord so I'd just solely on streaming packages. I'm on like Hulu and whatever. But I'm like, you know what? I really want to watch this game, but I don't want to go out and I'm not paying to watch it. Is it going to take that much effort for me to go to Google, type in free MLB stream and then have 10 different links pop up? I mean, like, really? Hey, come on, Nick, I do that. I do that for Celtics games, like literally every single one. Exactly. Just about everyone I know illegally streams something because the risk is insanely low and the payoff is exactly what you want. Oh no, the stream freezes a couple of times a game, so I have to refresh it? Oh, what a shame. As long as I have an ad blocker on, I feel pretty confident about it. That, and then when I'm done, I'll run a virus scan on my computer to make sure nothing seeped through. There we go. Problem solved. 
and I just saved myself however many hundreds of dollars the major league or NHL or NBA or NFL packages. So if you're making it difficult for people to get your content, they're just going to get it illegally. The biggest thing that cut down on pirating music was iTunes. Because all of a sudden, you could get the song you wanted from a reliable source where you weren't risking any viruses, and it was downloaded to your iPod in under 30 seconds, and all I have to do is pay 99 cents? Oh, that's a great deal. That was the biggest thing, even at $1.29. It cut down on pirating stuff because it just became easier. And Major League Baseball making it difficult to get content is going to do that. Like you said, they need to televise more games. They need to make it easier to stream. I think they kind of did that with the Facebook game, but the problem with that is Facebook got the exclusive rights to those games, and that's a problem. That's the YouTube game. I, I, the YouTube game of the week, I think, is a decent idea. Yeah, like that's that, a good I one. think is a very pretty good idea. Oh, absolutely. Like Things like that should be, it should be a lot easier to clip shows. And I know some people are probably shaking their head at, well, it's just highlight clips. Like, what's the big deal with that? I'm going to point to the biggest example of highlight clips being in demand, which is House of Highlights. That is the best example. It grew from what, like an Instagram page a couple years ago to having an on-court ad? The guy Omar who runs it, he now he now runs SportsCenter's account. Yeah. So it's quite clearly that he was successful and knew how to market things. I want to know, do you really care if somebody screenshots or screen records a five-minute segment of a game? Cap it at five minutes, then put like a 15-minute cooldown on the thing. It's pretty simple. Like, yeah, there's going to be 15-minute segments where if something cool happens, people aren't going to be able to record it. But just even if you wanted to say, okay, we don't want people recording the whole game and then, like, illegally streaming it that way or pulling some BS like that, fine. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but fine. I could see the business concern of that. But then just say, okay, you can only record up to five minutes or up to ten minutes of a game. Simple enough, because there's not going to be more than 10 minutes of highlights in a game. There just isn't. And no one's just going to watch 10 minutes of a game or go, okay, I'm going to record 10 minutes on this device or on this account and then on another account do another 10, 10, 10, and do things like that. People aren't going to do it. Also, the rule change is just alienating existing fans. It's not really bringing people in. So I really don't get the concept of that. Plus, I feel like with Major League Baseball, Constantly comparing it to like NHL, NBA, isn't the right, even MLS, really isn't the right comparison because those sports are just totally different in nature. The comparison is the NFL because that still is turn based, although not exactly a perfect match. Plus, you have something that's similar that a lot of people don't think about. You can have a Pittsburgh Steeler fan in Los Angeles, you could have an Oakland Raider fan. In northern New Jersey, you can have a Dallas Cowboy fan seemingly everywhere because they're like mosquitoes, but, you know, they exist. There's a lot of fans of various teams all across the country. It's not like a heavily regional thing, like is the case with a lot of other sports. Major League Baseball is similar in that regard, where you'll find Yankee fans all across the place, mainly because, again, like mosquitoes, but... You'll also find Dodger fans all across the place. You'll find Giant fans. You'll find the occasional like pop-up Reds fan or pop-up Cubs fan or a Braves fan. And you'll find them all over the country. They're not as regionalized. So you can play into that. The games are similar. 
The fan base type of creation is somewhat similar. Another thing that I always thought was just missed opportunities. Keep making up players. That is such a great opportunity. Baseball lends itself to that so great too. Because there's a lot of inaction time. Where guys are just BSing around. And again, that's showing the kind of personalities these guys have. And show off the personalities. We want to see the people. Half of the interest is the players. Like, yeah, I care about the teams. But if I was coming in and watching a baseball game cold, I've never even heard of half the teams. If you ask me how many teams there were in New York, I'd say probably one, maybe two. I don't know. Like, if I'm coming in that kind of cold, then do I really care if the Reds are playing the Pirates and everything like that? No, I want to be interested in the actual players. I want to have some interest there. And so if you can make up, you know, the guy with the most personality on each team, and I can listen to that, that's so much more interesting. If I'm watching, like, the Mets and the Nationals play, and I have no dog in the fight, if you mic up Francisco Lindor, that's going to be really interesting to listen to. Or, like, Dom Smith would be another great guy to get mic'd up. Pete Alonso is another great guy to get mic'd up. These are all great opportunities that are being missed. I feel like the broadcast itself kind of needs to be updated. I'm spoiled because when I watch Met games, I get Gary Keith around, and even if it's a blowout, it's still fun. But like for national broadcasts, the best one I watched in like the last five years was the MLB Statcast from the Wildcard game a couple years back. Oh yeah, they're excellent. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not even like I care about the advanced numbers that much, and I certainly don't really understand them. But the commentary was better. It just was. Like, I was like, oh, well, it's like I'm watching a baseball game with some friends or some guys at the bar. It's just more enjoyable. You know, it's, there's just little things that could be. I think the MLB needs to hire us. I think that's what they need to do. I mean, I'm certainly available. And I know there's studios in Secaucus. So I think I can make the 25-minute trek every day. I think we've, uh, I think we've gone on for long enough here. And this episode certainly, yep, it's going to be a very long one, but I think it's going to be a good one. So I think it's worthwhile. So with that said, we'll go to the plug, see if we have anything else left to add, and then go from there. If you want to follow the show, be sure to do so on social media at IndieBallPod and on Instagram at IndieBallReport and AOPB underscore news. If you want to find the show notes, which contain the links to everything we talked about today, that is on the website, IndieBallReport.com. That also includes all our previous episodes and this current one you're listening to, as well as uh, some videos and some articles and some other miscellaneous things as well. So be sure to check all of that out. If you've liked the show and want to subscribe, be sure to do that wherever you're listening to this episode or wherever you find podcasts, including TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many more. Be sure to like, rate, review, and then subscribe as well. Uh, with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Let's go Rutgers. I hope, hopefully, I know by the time this releases, we will know if Rutgers is into the second round. I just hope they are. And if they are and they're playing Houston, then? <clears throat> we'll worry about that. We'll worry about that after. I care about Clemson right now. <laughs> Now, I do want to point this out. Let's say by some miracle they do get to the second round and they do beat Houston. Yeah. Then what? Because Rutgers plays Syracuse in that case? Yes. Cry. <laughs> that's, that's They played in the regular season and I kind of just like watched the game casually. Mm. And uh, 
And I mean, luckily, like Rutgers was ranked at the time, and I, I was just like, if I had to pick one, I would guess it would be Rutgers because it meant more. It would it meant more for them to beat an unranked Syracuse team at home. So and it didn't really hurt Syracuse. So this this would be tough, though. This would be really hard. Be a trip to the Elite Eight on the on the line there, wouldn't it? I'll worry about that if it gets there. I'm just gonna throw this out as food for thought. Not only would it annoy me more to see Rutgers there. I also would probably say it means a lot more to Rutgers to go to an Elite Eight than Syracuse. No, I, I know. And not to mention when Syracuse will be back. But, no. you know. But, you know. So, I, I know. But we'll, we'll I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. I'm worried about tomorrow first. All right, then. So, uh, I guess I'll go with my, my various things here, which I'll try to keep fairly short. We'll start off again, March Madness bracket. I have exactly one this year because without any blue bloods there, I'm thoroughly uninterested. I only have the one for my uh, my group chat, which I think I have Illinois winning. I don't even know if that's a good decision or not. It's just what I'm running with. Now, up next, I talked about this a little bit last week. Going to get to it this week. NHL back on ESPN and hopefully Gary Thorne along with him. I'd like to see Gary Thorne call maybe a game a week, maybe less than that, maybe like two games a month, because I don't want to like have the nostalgia wear off. And I certainly could see that happening. Likewise, great thing for ESPN to have the NHL rights. It'll definitely promote the league a lot more, promote the game a lot more. And hockey is one of those sports where I think if more people saw it, watch, it would be way more popular. And it really isn't that hard to understand. You just need to watch it a little bit. It's such a fun sport, and it's just so criminally underrated in the U.S. And on that similar note, we're going to combine those first two things for my final one. The Frozen Four, so collegiate uh, hockey tournaments coming up. Top 16 teams in the nation play in the March Madness-style bracket. That is unveiled Sunday at 7 o'clock. That means sometime during the week, I'm probably going to record a whole, like, bracket breakdown of this and uh probably upload it on like youtube or something i may put up a poll saying do you want it on the main feed or on youtube and do whatever the results say because i'm going to talk for over an hour about this because (laughs) i'm so insanely into college hockey that it's not even funny and i only really started getting into it in like 2014 and then really over the last two or three years i've really done a deep dive into it and like as far as i'm concerned i have three teams that i really do root for and like to see succeed i got north dakota which is essentially the duke of college hockey then i got princeton because that's about as close as a local team i can get because there's only one in new jersey and then sacred hearts the third one because they're building a really 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 nice rink that's going to open in 2013 or 2023 my mistake january and it's going to be awesome and i can see myself going to that more often than I should. So, go Sue. That's all I got to add. Alrighty. And so with that set, nothing else left to add. Uh, Don't forget to play ball. I had that one planned, didn't you? No, I didn't actually. That one was off the hook.